The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. And I'm here with my producer, Ricky Herrera. Good morning. Good, happy Monday, Ricky. Happy Monday, Vic. Good morning. How are you? I am well. Well, it's spring. Lots are happening. So let's uh, let's talk about all the all the news and current events that have been happening last uh, couple of days, and some of them are pending, uh, such as Clarence Thomas, another bombshell from uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. You know, this time he is uh, he supposedly uh, through the years accepted lots of super luxury vacations and gifts and such from from uh, billionaire Harlan Crow, who's a Republican. That includes um, lavish trips to Indonesia, New Zealand, California, Texas, Georgia. Some of the trips reportedly included um, travel on Crow's uh, super yacht and uh, stays on properties owned by him. Of course, he says that at the time he did not uh, need to disclose those analysts uh, say otherwise. So, you know, here we go again. You know, this is Clarence Thomas, who Bill Bloom for the progressive called uh, or said, no single justice is more responsible for this crisis than Clarence Thomas. And what he meant by that was crisis of of no trust and uh, no, uh, you know, belief in, in the Supreme Court and the justice system. Another thing that, and this ties into what we're going to talk about later, former President Donald Trump. So according to journalist Woodward and Costa, Clarence Thomas's wife, Virginia, who goes by the nickname Jeannie, had texted White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows 29 times between early November 2020 and mid-January 2021 urging Meadows to push to overturn the results of the presidential election. Of course, Clarence Thomas uh, claims he knew nothing about this, that his wife was doing this. I mean, uh, just talk about conflicts of interest and and just um, just really messy, 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 messy. Even if he didn't know anything about those text messages, that's still pretty chilling. Well, you know what, Clarence Thomas... I feel like he's been in the news the past few years. Years, more like decades. <laughs> if any part of the the systems that run this country should be out of the news and should be behind the scenes, the, the Supreme Court, I think, should be that. I mean, the, these are people that make some of the, the biggest decisions affecting the country. They do make the biggest decisions that affect this country. Well, he, he came... He came to the Supreme Court on the news, essentially, with the Nita Hill hearings. Uh, and, you know, ever since, he has voted against women's rights, LGBTQ rights. Uh, he has voted against the working class, the working poor. You know, he's just, uh, I mean, he has a terrible record of voting in the Supreme Court. And uh, so these are just the uh, cherry on top. With everything going on in Israel 
regarding their Supreme Court, it's an odd time for this, another story about Clarence Thomas to surface regarding ethics and, and whatnot. And yeah, but it goes to show you that, you know, our system, we've got, we've got lots of uh, problems of our own. Um, you know, we look down on other nations and how they conduct themselves, but our own Supreme Court, our own Congress, there's, there's plenty of corruption here, you know, and on and on and on. Um, uh, yeah, but I'll get into that because I'll start talking about Citizens uh, United. <laughs> I expect this kind of stuff uh, from from Congress and, and influence. Uh, there has been some weird precedents in the past. Um, in the 60s, uh, when Lyndon B. Johnson was president, he uh, nominated Abe Fortas, Fortas, a Supreme Court justice, he nominated uh, him to be chief justice, but Republicans and Southern Democrats filibustered the nomination and they used, they weaponized his acceptance of a $15,000 honorarium from a university. And Abe Fortas then withdrew his name from consideration. It was later learned that uh, the Supreme Court justice also took a, a $20,000 retainer from a Wall Street financier. And that guy was later uh, in prison for security violations. The whole time, Fortas denied uh, ever having done anything wrong, and he resigned from the Supreme Court just one year later. Hmm. Yeah. Now, I think, I think in no way will Clarence Thomas ever be um, nominated to be the uh, to be the Chief Justice. Never say never. Not after the 2016 elections. The whole Brett Kavanaugh thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was, talk about bizarre, man. That was like one of the most intriguing months in my news watching. Yeah, <laughs> after after Republicans um, uh, prevented President Obama, who had a year to, uh, to bring on a new uh, Supreme Court justice, for one year, the Republicans uh, stopped him from doing that, pulling all kinds of tricks to prevent that from happening. But uh, let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about our our, our former Republican uh, president, Donald Trump, who was indicted on 34 counts or felony counts, I should say, uh, arrested. Well, you know, officially he was arrested and indicted. First time for a U.S. president. I mean, it's 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 incredible, and the fact that the the fact that there's still talk of him running for president again, it's just uh, the fact that it exists is uh, not just questionable, but it's just um, bizarre. No, oh, you remember a few weeks back, I told you about that. Um, shared that story about that dude back in the um, early 1900s who uh, ran for president uh, from prison. And, oh, that's uh, right. Got over, got over a, mil a million votes. But hey, did we get a mugshot no. from uh, Trump? No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't that kind of a, a an arrest. You know, they still gave gave him a lot of um, uh, presidential allowances, if you will, or privileges. Uh, but you know, he is officially being arrested and arraigned. Of course, it was you know he turned himself in voluntarily, but doesn't change anything. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens after this. Do you think this will affect him going forward? Like, do you think his indictment could sway people in his corner? You know, um, yeah, well, I, I think anything can happen. It could do two things. One, it could 
he's already lost a lot of supporters, supporters in terms of leaders in his own party, uh, as well as mega donors who are essential for someone running for president because you have to spend, you know, tens of millions, well, hundreds of millions to run for president of the U.S. Uh, if you want to win. So he's he's lost a lot of support. He's lost some of his uh, longtime uh, friends, if you will. Um, he's lost the donors and uh, some uh, more pragmatic Republicans. However, he still has a good base, if you will. And one thing he could do is this could open up some people's eyes where he uh, loses uh, more of his supporters and the Republican Party uh, becomes uh, alarmed that he's not going to be able to win or be the nominee. So they distance themselves from him. Or he could do the opposite. He could, uh, and, he, and he's been already trying to do that. You know, he's he's trying to spin this as he's the victim. You know, poor me. This is, a, you know, this is a lynching me and all this garbage. So he could spin this and uh, make himself be the victim and rally people behind him. And then people would come out and vote for him because they want to see, quote unquote, justice. Uh, so it's a wait and see where we go from here and what actually comes out. There's there's enough out there that's evidence-based, that's solid. It's not even questionable uh, from texts, from uh, audio and uh, testimonies as to what happened that I think, I hope that most Americans would have made up their mind by now. But uh, some don't and some uh, some are, are probably going to be on the fence until November of next year. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We have six years of, I think, sol solid evidence in regards to Trump mania and the, the narratives and, and rhetoric we've seen from his supporters. I don't think this changes a goddamn thing. Yeah, we'll see. Well, let's go to something a little more upbeat, which is that I'm, you know, you know, you were at the premiere of my documentary film Motherland. People have probably heard me talk about it. It's done really well at the at the film festivals. We've been in uh, seventy six film festivals. We've won thirty nine awards. Um, yes, I'm bragging, but uh, no, seriously. Uh, we're actually invited to South Korea to be in a, in a very um, prestigious human rights film festival in uh, early June. But the cool thing is that uh, KPFK is screening the film. It's a one-time only special event, uh, and it's a benefit for the station. And it's going to take place on Thursday, April 20th at the IATSE Local 80, the Union's Hall. Uh, which is in Burbank. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool event. There's going to be a reception before the screening. And then afterward, there'll be a post-screening Q&A panel that I'll participate in. Uh, and it's all brought to you by KPFK. And, uh, you know, people who want to find out more about it or get tickets, go to kpfk.org to the screening section, the event section, and just click on the link. It'll give you all the info. There's a separate price for uh, if you just want to see the film and attend the screening, uh, but if you want to attend the reception also, there's a there's a different price for that, but it's all on our website. So just go to kpfk.org. Yeah, so that's going to be on Thursday, April 20th from 6 to 9.30 p.m. And as Vic said, there are tickets just for the screening, 
And there's also a bundle where you can attend the reception and the screening, uh, including the the post-screening Q&A panel. So you'll see Vic. Uh, Vic <laughs> is, is a dapper individual. He will easily be spotted. And uh, he is the most approachable man I've ever met in my life. So that, that'll be really cool. And let's play uh, the trailer to your film, Vic. Sounds good. Before the invasion of Ukraine, there was Artsakh. With the blessing of Russia's President Putin, nations of Azerbaijan and Turkey invaded the independent Republic of Artsakh, also known by its Soviet name Nagorno-Karabakh, in 2020 and massacred more than 5,000 indigenous Armenians from their ancestral homeland of millennia while world leaders watched in deafening silence. I've been speaking out about the current situation in Armenia and Artsakh. Removing Armenian civilians from their ancestral homeland in Artsakh. Turkey's role in importing terrorists. Between Russia and Turkey and Azerbaijan. This is, this is uh, you know, potentially an existential threat. I think we need to be talking about sanctions on Turkey. In 2021, President Biden became the first U.S. president to officially recognize the Armenian genocide of 1915 by the Ottoman Turks. But history repeats itself as the ethnic cleansing of Armenian people continues. This was Putin's successful dry run before his invasion of Ukraine, but I bet that you've never heard about it. So I went to my motherland to investigate the attack and shed light on this precursor to the invasion of Ukraine. Where will they invade next? All right, so that was the trailer to Vic's documentary film, Motherland. And as we uh, were saying just a few minutes ago, uh, KPFK is hosting a screening of the film. It will be in Burbank at the local 80 Union Hall. Um, and that's going to be on Thursday, April 20th from 6 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. Go to kpfk.org, click on the link and check out all the details. Yeah. So anyways, Vic, we got an interview right now. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Jesse Gabriel? Yes. Assembly member uh, Jesse Gabriel from California's 46th district. He is a a very, very um, super educated, just a hardworking assembly member uh, who is doing some great things for SoCal and is very, I, what I'm impressed by is how uh, blunt he is, if you will, unfiltered. And uh, yeah, let's uh, listen to my interview with them. The Blunt Post with Vic. Assemblymember Jesse Gabrielle was first elected to the California State Assembly in June 2018 to represent the 45th Assembly District, which includes much of the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles. A graduate of UC Berkeley and Harvard Law School, Assemblymember Gabriel worked as a uh, constitutional rights and general litigation attorney before becoming a public servant. Among countless honors, uh, he's been recognized as the California Attorney of the Year by the Daily Journal and one of Sacramento Bee's California 
influencers. Good morning, Assemblymember Gabriel. Thank you for being on the Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? I'm doing great, Vic. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here with you. Uh, for me as well. I grew up in the Valley and you represent a, a, a majority of the Valley toward the West, the West side of the Valley. Uh, I think most people um, who don't live or are not familiar with don't know how big the Valley is. So, um, so yeah, it's absolutely an honor for me as well. Um, let's get right into it. Um, it's a uh, you know, it's the uh, beginning of the year. Uh, lots have changed. Um, I think, you know, we just had an election and I, I you know, every four years we say uh, this is the election of our lifetime. This is the most important election for us, especially uh, when, when it comes to the national election, presidential. I personally feel like this past November, uh, the election we had was really the most important election, at least in my lifetime, for the greater Los Angeles area. It was a very uh, decisive um, uh, election. On a lot of changed. So I, I want to get your perspective on uh, what you think and um, and what you think, uh, how you think it all went down, and where we are today. Yeah, thank you so much. And I have to just go back to the thing you said about the the San Fernando Valley. I'm obviously so proud to rep the Valley in Sacramento. And when I when I got up here and I started telling people I was from the Valley, I realized that they think that means the Central Valley. Uh, and so part of what we're trying to do is put the San Fernando Valley on the map and make sure that we get our fair share of state resources and transportation funding and all of these things. And so often when my colleagues from other parts of the state think about L.A., they think about the West Side, they think about downtown, they're not thinking about us in the San Fernando Valley. So I'm really, really proud to represent such a diverse and vibrant community. And a big part of what we're trying to do is make sure that we uh, we get our fair share and we have our voice heard up here in the state capitol. As you mentioned, I think it's, um, it's exactly right. People always say uh, it's the most important election of our lifetime, and it certainly has felt that way uh, the last couple election cycles with how crazy our world is and how crazy our politics have become. But this was a big one for LA County, and this was a big one for the city of Los Angeles. And, you know, as I go around the community and talk to folks, and, and just my own perceptions, it really felt like things are going in a in a really complicated and not a good direction for, for the county, for the city. Uh, we're at a very complicated moment. And obviously our housing and homelessness crisis at the top of that, the frustration um, that people are feeling, the lack of confidence in elected officials to make a difference, to solve that problem, which is not only a public health and, and public safety uh, crisis, it's also a humanitarian and moral crisis that we're watching unfold before us. And that is a really, really complicated thing. And we need to make some progress on that. And I think a lot of this past election was voters' frustration with the lack of progress that has been made. The other issue we're facing is a lack of public confidence in elected officials. And obviously the top of of, of, of the you know data points there is what happened at the city, right? Those horrific tapes where we heard uh, all of that uh, you know, anti-Black racism, anti-Indigenous racism, comments about the Armenian community, the Jewish community, um, and, and really more than that, just the most cynical backroom politics of people trying to divide communities, trying to pit communities against each other. So we have a, we, we're facing a real crisis, I think, in the city of Los Angeles. I think a lot of voters uh, are really frustrated. They're not seeing results. They're losing confidence in the ability of elected officials and civic institutions to solve their problems. And so I am really, really hopeful that this some of the new leadership that we brought in, particularly our mayor, Karen Bass, are going to put us on a different course, are going to help to solve some of these big issues and also restore public confidence and public trust in government. Wow. 
I'm I'm really impressed. So I was uh, going to go right into my question, but I have to just address something. This is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with Assemblymember Jesse Gabriel. When I was doing my homework on you, I was super impressed by your uh, your resume, your background, Berkeley and Harvard, and uh, you know how you've you have already had an incredible uh, career at a at a young age. But what I was really impressed with just now is how you're not afraid to talk about some uncomfortable topics, and you brought them up. And that's you know my show is called The Blunt Post, so I'm 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 a big fan of that sort of being direct and unfiltered and really addressing the elephant in the room. Uh, so I appreciate that from, you know, yes, the tapes, the infamous tapes. Um, and uh, and another thing is, you know, you, you use the word humanitarian uh, crisis uh, in addressing the unhoused homelessness. And, and uh, you're so right. That's just, uh, you know, something that we don't really talk about. I think we get caught up with the practical and the legal and, and policy and all of that. So I appreciate it. Um, speaking of the homelessness challenge that we have in SoCal, I do believe in uh, the fact that homelessness is, is really a national problem. It's uh, We just happen to have about 50% of the uh, nation's uh, homeless in California for obvious reasons, um, you know, and that, that reason uh, is from inequality and income and disintegration of middle class and uh, living wage and all of that. But you know, we do have this major challenge we're dealing with, including in your district. Um, and so Mayor Bass has, you know, was very sort of vocal about this during her campaign. And she has sort of uh, come to office and been very aggressive in 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 sort of uh, dealing and handling uh, this major issue that that was really on the top of everyone's agenda. Um, how do you think she's doing? Although I think it's a little unfair to judge her now. Uh, it's too early. But in terms of her policies and how she's tackling it and how it really, um, uh, you know, is it similar to what you would do? Yeah, I think, look, I think you hit the nail on the head in the way that you described it, which is this is the issue at the top of the agenda. I think most folks that I talk to, if it's not the first question I get, it's the second question. This is something that in all corners of our city, uh, people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, they are looking at our inability to solve the homelessness problem, and they want to see results on that. And so far, I mean, you're, you're right, it is early, um, and, and so it's probably unfair to judge her. But I, I will say I have been very impressed by the mayor's action so far. I think she's doing it exactly right, declaring a state of emergency, and then taking actions that are consistent and are showing the public that she's going to do tough things to solve this. The, the part of what has been missing here is leadership and coordination. And so her, her, the way that she has brought uh, the different members of the city council together to get behind her plan, the way that she's gone to the board of supervisors, obviously, L.A. is only one city in, in L.A. County. There's 88 cities. So you need broader regional coordination to solve this. You have almost 70,000 homeless people in L.A. County. I mean, it's really um, unfathomable. But she is bringing people together and providing that coordination and that leadership that that we so desperately need. And, and I'll say a couple of other things about this. Part of what I appreciate about her strategy with focusing on some of the biggest and most dangerous encampments first, doing it, getting people off the streets in a way that is humane and compassionate, is that people need to see results. I feel like we are at a moment where the public has lost confidence in the ability of government to solve this problem. And it's so challenging. I talk to people in my district and they say, look, I voted twice to tax myself. 
I voted for Measure H at the county level. I voted for HHA at the city level. I said, take more of my money and, and to, to elected officials and go do something about this because it is heartbreaking to me what I see every time I drive down Ventura Boulevard or every time I'm under an underpass on the 101. And they want us to do something and they're not seeing progress. And so her strategy of demonstrating progress to people, helping those who are most vulnerable, most at risk, uh, I think is a really, really wise one. And I'll say one other thing on the coordination point. She understands that this is something that we've all got to solve together, that a lot of this, as you mentioned, is the result of decades and decades of policy choices, of housing policy choices, of, uh, of the tremendous wealth and income inequality that we have here in the United States and in the state of California. And, you know, I was so impressed. She sent her entire senior leadership team up to Sacramento to meet with members of the legislature. I had an opportunity to meet with them. We had a very candid conversation about homelessness. They're very interested in partnership. And so it's that bringing people together, getting everybody on the same page. That's the kind of leadership that I think it's in coordination it's going to take to solve this crisis. And so far, uh, I've been very impressed with the way that she's handled it. Wow, great. Thank you for that. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with Assemblymember Jesse Gabriel. You've, you know, you've had a lot of accomplishments, um, and it's interesting looking at uh, some of the things that you've done. One can tell you're, you're a younger, um, younger in, in a good way, uh, elected official who really addresses more progressive and and, and often neglected uh, issues uh, from, uh, you know, gun control legislation to uh, social media transparency and environment and such. Uh, what, uh, you know, and you have a big agenda in front of you for 2023. What are some of the things that we can uh, expect? What are you working on? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I, when I was elected to office, I had no gray hairs and now I'm starting to get a few. So that's, uh, I'm, I'm struggling with that. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, look, I I think it's important for young people to be in office. I think it's important for progressive people to have a seat at the table as we're making those policy choices. I feel like our generation has a lot at stake in some of these big um, challenges that we're facing climate change, you know, an existential threat to 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 our to our species, to the planet. And we're the ones that are going to be around and our kids that are going to have to deal with the consequences of, of a lot of these decisions. So um, we're trying to work on what we think are some of the biggest challenges facing uh, our community, the San Fernando Valley, and also the state of California. You mentioned gun violence. Obviously, we've had this horrific string of mass shootings. Um, it was wild to me. I was on the steps of the state capitol on Monday uh, holding a vigil for the, for the victims of the mass shooting in Monterey Park. Uh, with a lot of members of the API community and a lot of my colleagues, and we have this vigil and everyone is feeling um, so sad about this. And we walk back to our offices a few blocks away. And the first thing I do is find out that there's been another mass shooting in Half Moon Bay, right? And so the the, the frequency of these is so distressing. This has been a priority of mine. It's, I, I helped to organize a, a working group on gun violence when I uh, entered the legislature. And so we have three bills that we are working on this year related to um, related to gun violence, uh, attacks on guns and ammunition. It's controversial, uh, but it would raise a lot of revenue to help fund uh, school safety improvements and, and violence intervention programs. Uh, another bill that would help to keep guns out of the hands of people who commit domestic violence. We know that uh, someone uh, five times more likely to die if their abuser uh, has access to a gun, and then also helping to address some of the challenges that we have with mental health and guns to make sure that people are struggling with mental health issues don't have access to guns. So that is going to be a top priority of ours um, and, and such an urgent issue. And we're really frustrated that 
we can't make more progress in Washington, D.C. on this issue. Uh, congressional Republicans have really blocked a lot of the progress that we need to see. But absent the action we need from Washington, we're going to push forward here in California because we have to we have to protect our communities. We haven't, uh, as you mentioned at the beginning of the, the show, it's still the very beginning of the legislative session. So we haven't introduced all of our bills yet. And I don't want to um, get too far out ahead of, of, of sure. my staff and my colleagues. But I will say some of the other big issues we're going to work on. Um, yeah, EV infrastructure. Um, you talked about climate change, making sure that we can transition to electric vehicles um, in a way that is equitable so that it's not just the wealthy that have access, that everybody can, uh, that we have a robust infrastructure here and that we're going to have opportunities for everybody to uh, be part of the solution on climate change. Uh, obviously, housing and homelessness. Uh, I think we're going to do some stuff, particularly around veterans. We have so many homeless veterans uh, who have special needs and trying to help bring some of them off the street. Uh, protecting our most vulnerable communities. So we're going to continue to work to protect kids. I have three little kids, uh, the challenges that they face online with youth mental health issues. Uh, and then also looking at, at uh, hate crimes and domestic violence. And again, some of the communities that are most vulnerable, how do we, how do we protect them? So lots to come, hopeful to make some news uh, in the coming weeks. But I think you have a good sense of what our priorities are going to be and where our focus is going to be in 2023. Excellent. Thank you. This is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you're listening to my interview with Assemblymember Jesse Gabriel. Um, I think it's my last question. I know you're uh, pressed for time. You know, you have you have a pretty sizable uh, Armenian American community in, in your district. And uh, I know that you are aware of what's happening, not only uh, since 2020, the invasion of uh, Artsakh by Azerbaijan, but the current crisis, which is, I think, day 43 now of this blockade of Artsakh, where 120,000 Armenians are literally being starved to death uh, without medicine and food and uh, being able to go in and out of Artsakh. Um, uh, what, uh, what's your message for the Armenian community? Uh, you know, I think Armenian community feel very... Uh, obviously not by, uh, you know, all, but to a degree abandoned by the international community and some of our leaders. Um, so uh, what is your message for the Armenian community and, and your sort of your perspective on what's happening? Yeah, um, it's a fantastic question and a heartbreaking situation. And I will say my message to the Armenian community in my district and the people of Armenia is that we stand with you and we stand in solidarity with you and we have your back. Uh, unconditionally. I am really proud to represent uh, such a large and, and active Armenian uh, American community in the San Fernando Valley. I think, as you probably know, the first Armenian high school Farahian in my district uh, in Encino, um, and just such a wonderful part of the, of the fabric of the Valley and of California, facing discrimination. And we've seen that in my short time in office, uh, hate crimes directed against the Armenian community here in 2020, 2021, 2022 in the United States of America. Um, but also, this devastating situation that we have uh, with Artsakh, and and really this is a this is an illegal and a moral blockade. Um, it is an opportunity. I think you described it beautifully: a way to deprive people of food and medicine and power and fuel, and to try to freeze people and starve them. Um, and it's it's it is um, it's an incredibly traumatic event, and and we have an obligation to do something about it to raise the alarm. Uh, One hundred twenty thousand people. I had the. Um, privilege yesterday to via Zoom uh, hear from some of the leaders of Artsakh 
um, who were telling us about what it was like, the situation on the ground. Children who were on a field trip in Armenia, separated from their families, who cannot reconnect. People who are literally freezing in their homes. People who need medicine and, and fuel and food who are being denied basic and essential supplies. These are gross violations of human rights. And as an American uh, and as a Californian, they're not something that we can stand idly by and watch. And so as a member of the Armenian caucus, we've sent a letter to President Biden uh, calling on him to do everything possible to uh, open the, the Latchin corridor uh, to make sure that that food and supplies and support can get in, that we end this 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 blockade and that we send the humanitarian assistance that we need. So um, it's a devastating situation. And part of the problem, I think, is that there's so much going on in the world right now between Ukraine and all of the craziness in Washington and everything else going over the world. This is not getting the attention that it deserves. But this is an outrageous uh, and 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 really um, unbelievable attack on the human rights of the indigenous Armenian community uh, in Artsakh, and uh, I, I'm hopeful that Washington is going to stand up and respond robustly because that's that is what is consistent with our American values. Wow, thank you for that. That was um, that was truly uh, impressive. Again, uh, especially you didn't shy away from uh, calling it what it is, which is an illegal blockade. So I, I know. Many people listening to you appreciate that because we're we're so used to hearing rhetoric and sound bites and uh, toxic both sidedism um, and just misinformed people um, saying things that actually further aggravate the issue. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. yeah, I think I think to your point about this, my view on on public service and on politics is you have to be blunt and you have to be honest with people. Uh, you have to tell it like it is. And I don't get on an airplane every week and fly up to Sacramento and send, spend the week separated with my three kids to, from my three kids to, you know, kind of make friends with people, right? I'm in public service to try to make a difference. And it, it is, it is a disservice to the people of Armenia and, and on any issue to not be honest about what's going on, right? I think, I think honesty and authenticity are so important. And this is, for anyone who understands, this is a horrific situation. And we just have to be honest about that and call it what it is. And if we're, we dance around the issue, we're not doing anybody any favors. Yeah. And that sets you apart. Thank you for that. Uh, Assembly member, before we go, uh, is there a question I should have asked you that I didn't? Or is there anything you'd like to add? No, you got uh, you had a pretty wide range of questions there. So and I think you're you're really focused on, um, you know, the big issues that are facing the city. I think you're exactly right about you know, looking at what the mayor is doing. And I'm, you know, the, the next couple of months, I think are going to be critical for her. So um, I think that'll be really interesting to see how it all unfolds. Well, thank you. Good luck to you. And I look forward to uh, chatting with you again. Thank you, Vic. Such an honor to be with you. And I hope to talk again soon. So that was my interview with uh, Assemblymember Jesse Gabriel. It was really a, a pleasurable experience. Uh, thank you, Assemblymember, for, for your time and for being on the Blunt Post with Vic uh, this morning. Uh, good luck with every everything, and uh, hopefully we'll chat again soon. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, without whom this show would not be possible. And KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami, at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Thank you. The Blunt Post with Vic.